activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to switch up the formula and be joined by the amazing... Sam Frost. Hello. 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 How's it going? That was... Mm, the wo- I was going to say smooth. I don't think smooth is the word I was looking for. <laughs> but but we'll pretend and go with smooth. Go with smooth. It was pretty smooth. So for yeah. the keen observers among you and those who missed last week's episode, uh, we are switching up the format slightly, introducing the wonderful Sam Frost as co-host. And we're going to basically, we're still going to have the interview. That's still going to be part of this. Um, but at the beginning, we're, you're basically going to have to deal with this rambling for like 15 yeah. minutes. Um, for, for, for many reasons, mostly because I think there's a lot of extra stuff that we can say and stuff that I think will be helpful to people. Um, yeah. But also, I just, I just think it's a bit more fun this way and it allows us quite easily to purvey news and updates and other things as we go along um and then at the end of each interview we'll have a little round off with each other as well about the interview itself so hi sam welcome to a delightful new chapter in the activated authors experience oh thank you that was me doing a round off oh okay for people watching on the podcast sam's got their hands <laughs> in the air <laughs> when i was a kid and we used to do like <laughs> This is so stupid. We used to do handstands or cartwheels. Before you would do them, you have to stand. So, and then we clap. I won't do it because there's a microphone in front of me. Like, and clap, and then up, and then cartwheel, and then at the end. That's very cheerleader, the clap, which I think will probably yeah. be, that'll be a useful nugget of information for next week's episode, but we yeah. won't get there yet. Yeah, no, not yet. <laughs> no. I'm like, but Sam, I'm... all right, let me, let me ask a question to lead in what you're about to say, I think. I'm not assuming <laughs> what you're saying, but... How are you, Sam? Um, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I am, in the most unfun way possible, moist. <laughs> I am so hot. My face is wet. Like I am. I mean, it's hot as underboob at the minute. <laughs> like it's just, it's too much. I am. I am made for the grey skies and the drizzle and the wind and the snow um and today it's not only hot but it's overcast oh muggy oh cloying yeah or as my as my mama used to say it's humid outside humid definitely Um. humid yes luna that was a car door you are correct um yeah it bounced up from like i don't know 18 degrees to 31 overnight and you're right like i've just been out for a wonder in it it is not pleasant um, and I, I live on the first floor of this sort of like house complex thing um, and heat rises. So I'm getting all the residual heat from downstairs up into my place. And then there's no wind to just create a through breeze to actually cool down the place. So yesterday was just uh, me and my boy just kind of lounging on the sofa, just flopped. Trying just... not to touch each other. Yeah. Might set on fire. Yeah. Like literally yeah. I had kind of my legs stretched out in front of me. And if they were crossed because I was wearing shorts, instantly like just yeah. sticky it was like just horrible so yeah england everybody um and I, what makes me laugh is i've spoken to obviously a few people who are authors who um are <laughs> yeah, over in the, in, in the states and they're like 
oh man that's winter here like the, what we're <laughs> complaining about is the cold <laughs> look what we're complaining about is the cold to them all right i am currently i have a tan all right that's saying something right so if you're listening just imagine like chalk with a face and that's yeah. basically my general what's the complexion complexion um, and and that's my tanned complexion um it is hot it is too hot i'm not saying it's the hottest in the world but just because you're in a place that's hotter than we are it doesn't take away from the fact that it's hot here so mm -hmm. like how about you pipe down and conserve some of that energy if it's so hot where you are <laughs> and other than heat how are you let me think because my brain is swamp <laughs> I'm okay, actually. Um, if you'd have asked me that question midweek, um, I would have had a breakdown. Wait, you did ask me that question midweek, and I did have a breakdown. Um, but no, I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm slowly I'm slowly getting over myself. Um, so that's good. Or not so much getting over myself because that sounds quite harsh, but just getting out of my own way a little bit. Mm. Yeah, I had a lot of kind of mindset stuff going on um to do with kind of taking the next steps because where i am at the minute in regards to like my mental health and or my mental ill health is kind of it's the furthest i've ever been and so every step is terrifying it's mm -hmm. exhilarating um but also terrifying and a lot of the time because excitement anxiety and stress are the same um and nerves they're the same basically they're the same science lesson time they're the same chemical um chemicals in your body it's just situationally our brain labels them so you know if for example you're about to see someone that you haven't seen in like you know over a year and you've missed them terribly you've got all those butterflies and you label it excitement because you're you know of the situation but if if you're about to jump out of a plane exact same physiological response but you label it um terror <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and you know it's it's we've, we've had a lot of discussions about um kind of making that progress and moving forward and mm. i think it's something that a lot of people especially self-employed people um and those who pursue the creative arts have to go on that journey you get to a point in which you understand that there's only so far that other people holding hands and telling you how to do this can go before you're on your own because your path and how you know you're going to progress in your business and the things you want to do is going to be vastly different to so many other different people's and mm -hmm. that's like the beauty of it because that's then when you begin to embrace who you are and what you want to do and how you go forward but it's also terrifying because as you say you kind of it's almost like you all started rowing out into the ocean at the same time at slightly different angles yeah. and now you're at the point where you can't see the others and you're like oh it's it's just me making my way from now on yeah and then like you say as well sort of you know adding on that mental health issues and, and all the other stuff as well it's 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 difficult so it's it's trying but it's doable yeah. yeah yeah it's completely doable um and that's kind of where i'm at is i'm trying to prove no i'm not trying to prove i'm on the journey to prove to myself and other people that it can be done mm -hmm. but obviously with that comes every couple of steps just a small breakdown yeah that's okay that's okay we all yeah. have small breakdowns every three to four days that's mm -hmm. normal that's normal that's normal right and that's what, totally normal thank you jesus validation yeah there oh, you go. Oh, I just touched my hands together and now caught on fire sorry 
Um, but yeah. How are you? How are you? Sorry, this oh. is supposed to be a conversation. How are you? <laughs> I guess we're still in that interview format from from your your interview back a few episodes ago. Um, yeah, I'm doing all right. I it's it's oh, I'm I'm doing okay. There's a lot of big things bubbling underneath with me, as that always seems to be. But it's always pushing in a positive direction. So kind mm-hmm. of on on the same vein of what you were just talking about, I. <laughs> I had a real moment last week where at the end of the week I kind of because it's been non-stop for about four weeks now with mm. dag do's and conferences and writing and work and evening sprints and, and all this stuff so there's been a lot going on and on top of that I you know I'm supposed to have a life and you know look after my son and I was gonna say be a dad be a yeah. dad all that kind of stuff um, I took two days at the end of last week, uh, actually very kindly advised by yourself. And I say advice in the sense that Sam just went, just stop. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right, maybe, maybe I'll give that a go. Um, and I did. And I've, I've realised um, <laughs> it's been so weird because <laughs> essentially I know that I, I go at things 120 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And there is some justification for that because um, one thing I really try and uh, not to get confused with people is a lot of what I preach is, you know, resting and taking time off and obviously yeah. getting that whole balance of productivity versus, you know, life. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, there is such toxic poison in hustle culture. Yes. There and is. there are those people that are like, if you're not, you know, driving yourself into the ground, are you really living? And I'm like, no, no, that's well, not. you're sleeping, the other person's beating you. No, while I'm sleeping, I'm not dying, dickhead. Yeah. yeah. And maybe like, <laughs> maybe that does work for some people. There's no discounting that people, certain people, definitely like to have like just the driver the whip behind him and just to be sprinting that's <laughs> um but I think what we have to remember is there are certain phases where certain things help you in life so I did hustle hard to get out of the day job because there comes a point where when you work in a day job and when you want to go full-time there is that crossover of like you can't just stop one and start the other because you know financial obligations all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff um and I kind of get in and out of those phases and I'm definitely in one at the minute because uh, I am as of August, I will no longer be a ghostwriter, which means there are certain things I have to do now. It is very exciting, yes. <laughs> there are certain things I have to do now to make sure that I'm working and, and making sure that income's still coming in because, you know, I have to live. This is my full-time job. There, there, there will be no safety raft. Um, but with that, I have been going really, really hard the last few weeks, and it was the first kind of moment to stop. And I started looking at what I was working on, like where the money's coming in from, all the different things that you're supposed to do strategically um and i realized that and I'll, I'll, I'll be kind of vague about this because there are some conversations i need to have with some some people but um i've realized that there are certain things i'm doing that are draining me and preventing me from doing this stuff that helps me be productive and happy yep. um and that's not saying the other stuff doesn't make me happy but it's saying that i am i have been in the position of prioritizing other people as opposed to prioritizing myself so a very very basic thing that has changed in the last week um is that i've actually started running again um, I have joined a gym and I am recalibrating my entire diary into a position in which I feel more in control because at the minute it kind of feels like someone will come to me with a thing and I'm like yes I will squeeze you in somewhere and generally that's at the cost of myself yeah and so I'm kind of yeah I'm trying to draw those boundaries a bit more and build the personal life stuff now that um and I'm aware that some people listen to activated authors because I, I'm aware that I default and particularly did in the last episode of updates i default to just not imagining uh, assuming that people also listen to next level authors so a lot of the stuff i talk about i'm trying not to be too vague on so i might sound like i'm repeating myself with, with certain things at this point but like over the last few years um i have moved out of the house where um 
my son's mum lived and obviously where my son lives. I have lived in a house by myself around the point where a pandemic has happened. I had then moved back in with my parents for a year to save up money to buy a house so I can come back. And that was quite far away to come back closer to live near my son. So it's been this constant roller coaster of change. And yeah. within that change has been no real grounds for um, stable relationships with friends and all that kind of stuff. So that is what I'm working on at the minute, bringing that back into my life. And also, I went to a conference around about horror authors. And so my fire for fiction has mm-hmm. refueled. So this week has been a lot of planning a lot of getting the stuff done that I need to but also really re-evaluating where to spend my time on things as is I think somewhat evident in what we spoke about last week but yeah yeah it's it's heavy and it's a lot um and I've also got a couple of other things that <laughs> in a couple of weeks I hope I'll be able to announce um but yeah just trying to get through that simplify streamline and move forward yeah I just want to say and this might sound condescending and I absolutely don't mean it to I'm really happy for you and I'm really fucking proud of you. Thank you. Because like it's a big thing and I think a lot of people have issue with not just saying no but like the guilt that comes with that and also mm-hmm. like it's the it's the filter of um it's called self-subjugation. It's where you and it's kind of like a societal thing particularly in this country like you feel that you must put yourself last and put mm-hmm. other people first, otherwise you are not a worthy human. Um, and I think a lot of people suffer with that because we're kind of brought up to think that looking after yourself is selfish. And it's mm-hmm. bullshit. Like looking after yourself is necessary. It's just as simple as that. It's that analogy that I've like said before, and it's, you know, it's hardly unique um, or mind blowing to anyone, but it's the, when you're on an airplane, there's a reason you put on the oxygen mask first because you can't help anyone if you're unconscious. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I feel that. And it's it's a conversation we have with a lot of people in the activated author community. Um, so you're right, it is definitely um, just kind of built into the grain of who we are yeah. uh, for, for whatever reason. But yeah, so that's been a lot, of, um, a lot of my stuff. But what are you working on at the minute currently? Well, many things, but... <laughs> The main thing at the minute is I'm trying to, um, oh, God damn it. Wilcox, we're going to fall out because now I cannot say the word try without like, <laughs> hearing you in my head. I had a word with uh, our mastermind yeah. people about yeah. the word try because I got mm-hmm. sick of it. Mm-hmm. You're in this to do, do or do not, Yoda. <laughs> anyway, I am currently um, finding the path for myself to be able to be fully um, self-reliant financially because at the minute I'm on a lot of different um, like disability benefits and things like that because of this beautiful brain here um, which from time to time enjoys uh, the challenge of seeing if it can still try to you know kill me so (laughs) I'm trying to find a way to have a fulfilling um, life career um I am finding a way to have a fulfilling life career but damn it <laughs> um, so I'm just looking at a couple of different um legal and moral options to do that and while that's currently being uh researched by someone with much more um expertise yeah thank you and knowledge around that stuff than me I am looking at the things that I'm currently doing 
um, and just finding the ones that are most likely to fulfill me and also bring a profit so that I can then make this transition. Um, mm -hmm. It's terrifying and it's fun and that's scary. So that's mostly what I've been doing, but I've also been um, working on my novel in the morning. It's slowly mm -hmm. getting there. <laughs> Um, it's happening it is happening yeah sorry i keep looking up because i'm just staring at all of the the things i've yet to do how about you <laughs> what are you working on what's been what's been going on in wilcox town this week i mean so i some of it has been planning um i've also been on book with a ghostwriting client so i've been working hard on on those words um and then i have again being very very vague i have a thing that i need to write um <laughs> for a possible upcoming opportunity Thanks. which which will be should it happen incredibly exciting mm -hmm. and something that i found out <laughs> just to so much something i found out that i'm in the the final runnings for mm. before i managed to even get it up on my vision board um which is awesome so yeah once the minute i know more about that i will i will share that but yeah it's just just working on that so um, what I'm trying to be very cognizant of is really focusing on like only two projects at a time at most. Because yeah. um, I've also got a, a fiction novella that I'm chipping away at, though I haven't done anything on that this week because it's been um, on another book. And as I say, this this, this thing. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got that kind of rolling. Oh no, tell a lie. <laughs> I have also written a couple of chapters on um, a co-written book that I'm writing with a friend of mine, oh, Julie yes. Kaino. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, for those that don't know, me and Julie were both the editors of the Omen's Call Anthology, which is behind me on the shelf there, last year, and we're working on a novel together. Yeah, and she's, uh, awesome. Which is, she's awesome. She's fantastic. She's just launched a brand new book, and it's wicked. So check yeah. Julie Heiner out. Um, on that, I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to add a new section to this that um, oh. I haven't really announced, but I want to. I want to shout out a weekly win from our community because. Oh yes because every week we have a channel in the Activated Doors community in which on a Monday morning we share any win from over the last week, mm -hmm. um, big or small, we want them all. <laughs> <laughs> but the point, the point with those is they can be writing related, life related, like it doesn't just have to be, you know, no. I, I finished a book or I did whatever, like big or small generally, like a win is a win. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm gonna nab one this week from uh, Miguelin who finished editing his third chapter of his book. It was really stubborn, but it's done. So I feel that. Miguelin yeah yeah some chapters that. man some chapters fight back do you know what i mean yes yeah. i do I'm right on one at the minute. i feel like i've been on it since i came out of the whom the whom the whom the whom cool whip. Cool whip. <laughs> right what is something you have enjoyed this week i have so i've got two things um but i will do one of them now and i'll save the other one for next um I connected with a long lost family member mm. this week. Um, so I think it's, I think she's technically my, is it cousin once removed or first cousin or something like that? Yes. I don't know. I have a, a very, or I thought I had a very small family, so I never had to like deal with these things. Um, and yeah, basically she grew up with my mum in Australia. Um, my mum was a 10 pound pom and so was Barbara and they moved over there and then they just kind of lost touch because Barbara's family um, moved around a lot and they 
they they just kind of lost each other but they were inseparable and I think it was last year possibly the year before um I'd been on ancestry.com I think as well ah. sure. um just because I get interested about this kind of stuff I I'm, get a little bit nerdy about things like that um and one of Barbara's other long lost something or others had been on there and she'd found Barbara um and Barbara was like have you found Yvonne and she was like no but then she found me and she was like are you this is this like is this person your mom is this your dad is this your granddad and I was like who are you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no money you cannot um... <laughs> Um, and they connected and ever since um they've been talking first thing in the morning and last thing at night every day for like hours um and I've kind of been on the periphery of it but I really got to have good conversations with her this week and she is an incredible woman like she's very inspirational she is just gorgeous and um she is writing a memoir at the minute um I don't know I won't say the name of it just because I don't know when there's all those kind of reveals and stuff. Um, but yeah, and there was a line in it that blew me away. Um, and if you are hearing this, then she said it's okay for me to say, and if not, I will just edit it out. Um, but the line is, for what is bravery but fear walking? And it was just one of the most, oh, it was gorgeous. So yeah, I really, I like deeply, deeply enjoyed speaking to her. We were on like, we were on the phone for like two and something hours. Um, and like I say, she's incredible and she's been through so much. And it was just that thing of looking at her and going, oh yeah, this is doable. I can do this because mm -hmm. not only like, has she done the things that she wanted to do out of life? She's so happy. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she's joyous. And she said, like, even on her worst days, she's grateful for the worst days because they're her bad days. And like, no one can ever take that from her again. And I just thought that was just beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So that's yeah. me. What about you? Stranger Things 4. <laughs> <laughs> so basically we're all like the same. Kind of, kind of the same yeah, thing, same. like this whole reunited thing. And like, it's just like, I've reunited with Stranger yeah, Things 4. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, no, it's really, really impressed with it. I mean, uh, I'm, I've been a fan of Stranger Things from sort of its launch. I really enjoyed season one. Um, yeah. Like, I love the whole vibe. I love, like, the kids were fantastic in it. The whole story was new and unique and exciting and all that wonderful mm -hmm. stuff um season two was awesome season three was awesome but like so for me and people have their opinions i'm sure but for me like season one's to stand out season yeah. two is like my third favorite and then season three was kind of like better um yeah. like the story the whole thing carries it's full it's awesome but i think there was something really special in that first season that like once you have that trying to stretch that is very very difficult yeah um and season four came out a week two weeks ago and it has been beautiful and inspiring to watch because not only is it much more horror which is <laughs> to my tastes yeah um but the beautiful thing they've managed to do is take what felt like quite three to me anyway disparate uh volumes mm -hmm. and just find a really elegant way to wrap it all back around and there's intrigue yeah. and there's twists i didn't see coming and like it kind of is a masterclass in 
bring all the storylines together and starting to like converge towards an ending. Um, and I thought that season four, for whatever reason, I don't know how I thought it, thought it was going to be the last season. And mm-hmm. halfway through, I was like, yeah, this isn't the last season. Like as a, as a story writer, you start to, yeah. Yeah, as a story writer, you start to feel that um, mm-hmm. when they're going to come. I was like, if this is the final season, it's going to be very disappointing. And then they did something at the end because it's not finished yet. They've got two more episodes yet that are like mammoth, yeah. like one and a half hour and two and three, two and a quarter hour episodes <gasps> to finish this season. And so like, that's really exciting but everything about final episode to me just it very much reminded me of um for those who are familiar with breaking bad in season five they stopped midway through the season mm-hmm. and then vince gilligan actually took an extra year to film the second half because he wanted it to be perfect and i love it love it love it when people creators delay you know the commercial side for actually doing the thing justice yes and at the midpoint of season five there's like a really and i won't say it for people that haven't watched it but do because it's again masterclass in storytelling um there's a moment that happens with one of the characters that leaves just the best cliffhanger because you're suddenly on the edge of your seat going no way like just ready for it (laughs) and that happened with this and i've not felt that in god when was it that would have been 2012 2013 2013 i think that was when when breaking bad did that so yeah it was it was beautiful and glorious and i'm looking forward to the next two episodes, and I think they have confirmed there's going to be a season five. So nice. I would just yeah, like yeah. to say as well from from the peripheries, it's been very nice because I've heard a lot recently of, of like series that you've been like so into and so enjoyed, and then mm. the last episode just like absolutely lets the whole thing down. And so yeah, it's yeah. it's nice to hear. I know there's still two episodes to go, but it very much yeah. feels like you know. it's, yeah, no, it's, it's nice it's... to hear you excited about something. Yeah, we'll see what happens in the next yeah. episode. But yeah, no, whole no, no. judgment. Midnight Mass was one that I watched last year, which is a, a horror like series. It's only six episodes, and it's phenomenal, 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 phenomenal. But I don't like the ending. Yeah, yeah. Like again, fantastic. But there was just a lot of for me. There was a lot to um, that left a lot to be desired. So yeah. yeah. Well, I guess with all that rambling on, uh, it's time to look at introducing <laughs> our guest. For this week. So Sam, well, who is the guest for this week? This week we have your business coach, don't we? And his name is Robin Waite and he's British. He's British. That <laughs> took you very off guard. It so did. I'm not used to people being British, which is weird because I live in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not used to. That's that's what literally made me hunt you down. Not like physically. <laughs> I originally saw you on Should I be concerned? I was like, oh my God, he's British. I don't know what it is. But yes, it's Robin White. Mm -hmm. He is a business coach of Fearless Fearless Business. Fearless Business, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't know if there was another word and I'd forgotten. Um, Yeah. So that is who we have this week. Beautiful. Don't know if you're no, I mean, that that captures it perfectly. Let's, Let's let Robin speak for himself. So without any further ado, over to Robin, and we will see you on the other side. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by the incredible Robin Waite. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, regular speaker at various business events, and best-selling author of several books, including Online Business Startup, Marketing Machine, and the recent popular release, Take Your Shot. He puts his two decades of business experience to work, coaching clients to reach their goals, create more time, and increase their revenue. From the age of 18, Robin spent four years as a systems analyst for a medical devices company, increasing their turnover by 50% from £1 million to £1.5 million. 
From 2004 to 2016, Robin led a successful marketing agency serving over 250 clients. During this time, delivering workshops and masterclasses that helped over 1,000 business owners improve their marketing, product architecture, pricing, websites, and digital advertising. Behind the scenes, Robin is a husband and father to two young girls, a surfer and Sunday warrior, road cyclist. He hates going up the hills, but is well known at his local cycling club for his ascending at speeds more than 50 miles per hour down said hills. Robin also holds a Guinness World Record for participating in the largest ever speed networking event, has raised over £5,000 for a local children's charity in the last four years, and has a goal to help remove 100 kilograms of plastic from the world's oceans within the next 12 months via another charity he supports for Ocean. Robin, welcome to the show. Gosh, that's an introduction. It's a mouthful there. I'll probably have to shorten that. <laughs> no, I mean, to be honest, I normally sort of uh, cut them down a little bit, but there's so much in there that I think is worth sharing and stuff that we can probably, I, I know we're not going to be able to cover everything I want to cover, but we can definitely dive into some of this. Um, but there's, there's so much goodness in there. And I also wanted to highlight all that stuff because I know that I've spoken a lot on this podcast and one of my old podcasts about the fact that I've gone on a journey in terms of taking on a business coach. And for people who are wondering, Robin is also my business coach. So Hello, Robin. I'm very, very excited to have you on here. And we already said before we started recording, we're not sure if this is going to be a podcast or a therapy session, and we're not sure who the therapy is going to be for. So excited to have you. <laughs> oh, it's it's a real pleasure, Daniel. I'm, I'm super excited to see where the conversation goes. We'll see. We'll see. Let's start. Um, so I wanted to dive into one of the last parts in that bio, which was about your Guinness World Record for participating in the largest ever speed networking event. Do you have a certificate? And, and how does that look as a, a Guinness World Record holder? So I don't think I've ever spoken to one. So there it is. So actually, it's got my name on it, Guinness World Record. So I think the record has actually since gone. Oh, but no. for posterity, I've had a Guinness World Record and I you know, held one for a certain amount of time, not just the certificate. But um, yeah, it was, it was really good fun, actually. Um, we got close to 600 people in an auditorium. And th there was, God, the rules, the rules around Guinness World Records. Goodness me. Yeah. So uh, they, we, they had loads of spotters in, in, in amongst the audience. And we had to do... In the space of like 20 minutes or something like that, we had to do 10 mini speed networking sessions. They had us lined up on, along the rows, the seats. So we kind of had to do this snaking thing as we went along and met everybody else. It's like, it was really intense, but yeah, mm. we did it. So yeah, no, they, I've had, I've had a tiny little look into Guinness World Records. In my old job, we had a, a mascot and we really wanted to do like a Guinness World Record event. And, uh, and I looked into it, but the, the best world record we could find was the most high fives in a minute which would have involved someone obviously dressing up as a mascot and just sprinting and like slapping hands as they went but not only the rules but also the cost of getting an official adjudicator in the room was was probably more than we could have bared for the charity that I was working for but yeah it's there's a lot of uh, strict fun stuff but how did you end up getting involved in that was that how how, how did that come to be uh, so there was a, um, it was actually through a guy called, another author actually called Daniel Priestley, who's written several books. He was running an event down in London, which I'd, I'd actually been to the same event a dozen times, um, you know, before. And on this particular one, they were like, well, we're going to have 600 people in the room. So why don't we just get everybody together and yeah. we'll, we'll see if we can get a world record at the same time. So um, just, just by proxy of the fact I was there and, and game and played, you know um we, we did it but yeah so it wasn't it was not none of my doing I just happened to be there <laughs> well you still get the the uh, certificates of that count absolutely um but yeah tell my audience a little bit about your journey obviously we covered a lot in your bio but how did you kind of get started building fearless business and kind of going on this route of, of business coaching and and how have you gotten to where you are today yeah well I uh, you know I my my kind of um career span sort of the best part of two, two decades so short of boring everybody I'm not going to go into too much <laughs> detail over it but I'd always you know 
from a very young age, wanted to start up my own businesses and had various side hustles and things like that. Had my first proper business, I would say, in Bunny is proper business with the marketing agency, you know, which I ran for the, you know, 12 years. Um, we had some small, we're only a small local agency, but got it to sort of quarter of a million pounds. But things really shifted by year 12. Um, uh, I'd, I was between daughters. So my first daughter had arrived and Soph was about to arrive. And I just had this this moment of sort of clarity. Uh, some other people may call it um, a mental breakdown, essentially, <laughs> because I realised that um, I, I loved the bit. I loved my agency. I loved the clients we worked with. I had a team that was slightly dysfunctional, but they were good people. Um, but I was just massively unfulfilled, and I had this burning desire to um, not just help people build websites and do their branding, but I was starting to have really you know deeper conversations with people around sort of their business strategy and running helping them to run the numbers and other you know look at the, the marketing strategy as a whole not just on that one little piece that we did but because everybody knew me as a web designer there was this big conflict it's like I was pigeonholed into this little thing and so it all came out one morning you know when I was out on my bike went down one of those hills at 50 miles an hour and just, <laughs> I just started crying just had a breakdown um but actually that that whole sort of um, period has led on to what is now fearless business this was coming up for six years ago now um uh and i realized in in that moment that um you know i'd just been holding myself back um i hadn't been playing a big enough game sounds a bit cliched and that if i change i had to change my career in order to be able to help the people i wanted to help i couldn't do it under the guise of the marketing agency because that was that label um and so yeah so i i uh, shut down the agency literally on, on the following Monday shut the agency down uh, my wife had a bit of, she was eight months pregnant so it's good time <laughs> to tell your wife that you're closing your business down uh, I did actually end up going on to sell it which was quite fortunate because that gave me at least a, enough money it wasn't much but it gave me enough money to you know keep us going for a couple of years and get the coaching practice started up um, but yeah three weeks later Sophie arrived um, I uh, spent three months enjoying paternity leave um, uh, kind of started to wear this business coaching hat which was a little bit like to start mm -hmm. off with because uh, everybody knows what the coaching industry is but it's there's a lot of not so nice stuff going on in the coaching space at the moment um or hasn't you know for a long time and but I I, I figured out in those three months who I was going to help how I was going to help them what I wanted to be known for what my coaching toolkit looked like what what certifications and qualifications did I need to um to you know engage with in order to be able to put on a coaching badge and call myself a business coach um and all of that good stuff and the rest is kind of history mm, that's a lot there to unpack um and something that i do want to pick up on is you, you and there are going to be parallels here because what i'm conscious of is that because activated authors is for authors i what i'm concerned about is that certain people at this point might switch off because this is about coaching this is about business and stuff but there are so many parallels here between what it is to be an author and to run an author business which a lot of people yeah. don't like to acknowledge that being an author is still a business if you're dealing with money and trying to grow and trying to become what a lot of people i know want to replace the income from their day job with the author stuff so stick around because so much of this is transferable and within that kind of vein you mentioned there about the cliche of kind of just you know, realizing that there was more that you wanted to play the bigger game, all that kind of stuff. Isn't that essentially what we as authors choose to do when we choose to spend our time creating worlds and writing things and creating books and products to put out there into the hands of others in exchange for money? Well, what what led to the because I, I think if I hadn't actually published this, is there's probably a, a very big detail which I managed to omit from those <laughs> words. But so I wrote online business startup about two years before that that change in my career from the agency into coaching. So Online business startup, um, I, I wrote because one day a client 
just um, was very rude to me. And I was like, right, I want to change the way that people treat um, coaches, consultants, freelancers, anybody who's in that service client space. They don't, I didn't want them to feel the way that I felt with that interaction with that client. So I wrote mm-hmm. on my business, the startup to basically help business owners to um, uh, choose which, which freelancers business, you know, businesses to work with. Um, and um, what sort what were the right questions to ask and things like that and actually when I wrote it it was a bit naive I did it more as like a vanity thing it's kind of like oh <laughs> you know published author got to be a published author to you know grow your business sort of thing um, and actually it transformed my life because from that point that book did really well it wasn't like a uh, it, uh, it wasn't like one of these Amazon bestsellers that's in the charts for like you know a couple of hours and then it bobs off and you never hear from it again it stayed in the small business and entrepreneurship category number one for three and a half years it's That's sold amazing. nearly 15,000 copies, you know, so I've made a good income out of it as well over the, the last few years. Um, but the one big transformation which happened was um, people were like, oh, I see you're an expert in online businesses. Could we pay you for some consulting time? And up until that point, I'd always just been paid for building, you know, hourly rate for building a website or for helping somebody with their branding. So I started to get speaking opportunities, uh, podcast interviews, um, consulting gigs and things like that. And then it was what it, what it meant was that there was other people telling me that I had more to offer. And then finally, I started listening to them. And yeah, I need to do this thing. So mm-hmm. the, the book has been like massively, you know, it's massively pivotal in, in that transformation. And what did you do with the launch of that book? Was there anything special that you can help uh, that can attribute to the success or was it kind of put out there and it, it did very well? Yeah. So I think, I think in, the, you know, there's this thing with, um, with authors, I think that, you know, they think they put the book out, build the product and then, you know, customers will come and they'll just buy it. It's just not the case. I think there's so much saturation now and this is, sorry, this is, I want this to be, a, have a positive message behind it, but when you know what I'm about to tell you, that makes it that little bit easier because mm-hmm. If you if you if you put in that extra ten percent of effort, it will make you stand out head and shoulders above all of the other authors out there who have that attitude of "I'll write it and then I'll get you know sell loads of copies." Um, so what I did is I I focused on doing a um, like a four to six week launch campaign, um, which was kind of revolved around. And I know you're not allowed to incentivize reviews on a lot of the online sort of channels out there. So, but what I did is I had this um, like pre-release. Uh, which I did pre-launch which I did so I got 200 copies of the book printed out I sent it out to all of my nearest and dearest friends families business colleagues everybody and I said listen you're getting a copy of this before anybody else is going to get a copy of it but all I want you to do is just you know give me an honest some honest feedback Um, and on launch day could you just buy the kindle for me because I've given you the book Mm. Um, and so over this four to six week period I'm busy packing books sending them out um, following up with people I gathered their name, email address, and most importantly, their mobile number. And I didn't realize how important that was going to be, getting the mobile number as a part of my marketing strategy. Because what I did is I I built a little SMS text message campaign around the launch. So on on launch, I've got 200 people, 200 names, email address, telephone numbers. Dump them into, dump the telephone numbers into text magic, which was a tool which I used to send SMSs. And I sent three, three messages. That was it. So one on the morning of the event, those 200 people saying, hey, it's book launch day. Don't forget to go and buy the Kindle with a bit a bit link, a shortened link in it. Um, I sent one a bit later on that afternoon saying, hey, just a reminder, don't forget to buy the Kindle. Here you go. And then I sent the third one came out a week later when I said, if you bought it, don't forget to leave a review. Um, and so I got number one bestseller on that day. I got into the top 100 on Kindle. 
Um, I got, I ended up with a hundred reviews. Uh, I think it took me about uh, six months to get to a hundred reviews and then about eight months to get to 200 reviews for that book. Um, but the key thing was with those text messages on launch day and like the stats were just ridiculous. It's like 99% open rate within three minutes of receiving the text mm-hmm. and a 66% click through rate on the link, which I put in there. Yeah. So it's like, it, it, it wasn't going to fail and it was completely by accident. I didn't, I didn't realize until or plan it until three days before the launch. I was like, Oh, I've got all these texts, these numbers. Like, what could I do to reach all of those people? Oh, there's these automated SMSing things, right? Mm-hmm. So, for, so it's all about numbers game. It was all about um, making sure there was a bit of a, um, a launch sequence of events that was going to happen, uh, a campaign, and then making sure that the follow-up was there as well, because it was a combination of hitting that number one spot in the right category on the day, but the reviews, I think, of the things which, the yeah. thing which made it sustainable. Um, and, you know, but then also then because of that launch, loads of other people bought it. And I also have the verified purchase reviews on there. So there's a nice mixture of, if you want to call it that incentivized reviews, because they were part of the launch process. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, plus also now the verified reviews on there as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a much more legit approach than than what I've seen where people are incentivizing with like £10 Amazon gift cards and things like, I think pretty much every author that I know has that sort of advanced team those people they really try and sort of usher reviews from and exchange that honest feedback um one thing i will say for the people definitely out there because i know there'll be a few of them that are like but isn't texting quite invasive what would you what would you say to those because i know that from my own newsletters i tend to get anywhere between like a 25 and a 35 percent open rate on my fiction 50 percent on my non-fiction and then text as you say like 99 percent open rate that's incredible so what would you say to those people that are a bit like oh isn't that a bit too intrusive to be texting people and pushing people to do that well, I think if it's done from a, one, a genuine place, two, if you've mm-hmm. asked their permission, three, if you've informed them as to like what it is that you're going to be using their number for. And the final point to this is don't abuse it. Like if you were then like went on to use SMS for like, you know, marketing messages like week in, week out, I think people would start to get a bit annoyed. But literally all I did was I just did it based around that one campaign. And I've since gone on, I did the same approach for Take Your Shot, but I reactivated um my and rebuilt a new list just for take your shot for example so same process but I, again there was about uh how many years three years difference between the two books so mm-hmm. i felt that if people have changed their numbers and things like that it wouldn't be fair just to blast out to that same list so yeah <laughs> if, you, if you don't abuse it i think it's absolutely fine you know and it, it's it's more of an invitation um because th- they could choose to ignore that message or delete it or whatever and you know, the chances of anybody marking it as spam, especially if you've asked for their permission, is like nil. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned when um, you started to look into the foundation of Fearless, that within three months, you knew all the different cogs and things of who you were aiming for, how you were going to get that running. Was that a similar approach you took with that book? Did you have a specific person in mind when you were writing that book? So online business startup, this is probably the one biggest mistake with online business startup, because it was kind of more vanity just to get a book published. I didn't really have that strategic thinking um, with the book in place. And so the challenge was then when I pivoted into the coaching space, online business startup actually wasn't really as relevant. So people were still asking me about website and branding related work. And I was like, don't really do that anymore. But that's that's where the big shift happened with Take Your Shot, um, because that's when I did become very, very commercial, very strategic with the writing of that book. You know, um, one of the biggest bits of feedback I got from online business starter was brilliant book, super helpful. But it's it's like a very dry how to book in the way that it's written. Mm. Um, And so people had to chunk down like them taking. So they'd like 
read a chapter, get the value, implement it, and then they have to read chapter two. And it would take them like weeks or months to get through the book. So they said, great book, but just hard to read in that respect and implement it. Um, and so what I when I came to writing Take Your Shot, like the criteria was very different to online business startup. One, absolutely make sure it's aligned with the coaching business. That was that was massively important. This, but the th- second thing was I wanted it to be a short, a shortish sort of read that mm. was really easy, frictionless for people to kind of get into. So I ended up writing it as a, as you know, as a as a story, a fable, if you like, mm. about this business owner who was struggling with their business. He meets this coach, and then lo and behold, coach takes him on the just like hero's journey, but with the mm-hmm. coach and the golf pro, basically. Uh, and you don't have to be interested in golf, by the way, for the book. It's it's about focus more on the business owner. Um, and so, like the amount of times I get messages now where people are like, God, oh, I, I read Take Your Shot. It's absolutely brilliant. I totally got absorbed into like you like felt like you're writing about me. And I, I couldn't put it down once I picked it up. So it's like, you know, 100 pages. So it's like a nice, accessible, easy business book to read. Mm. I love that. There's a lot of parallels between kind of where I'm at with my journey because I've I've done two nonfiction so far. Well, yeah, two, but well, my own. Number one's collaboration for authors, which is basically an expunging of content that was almost like an experiment to understand nonfiction for myself. Uh, number two was self-publishing blueprint, which was kind of my how-to book in which I'm obviously going through all the, the cogs and bolts of how to self-publish a book. And the one that I'm working on at the minute, which is uh, all about productivity and sort of activating and, and living the author life, which is obviously activated authors, uh, is a lot more in line with the business that um, I'm obviously operating at the minute. Um, what I will say on, on Take Your Shot, you're right, like I, it is there is that kind of like fable style and I really enjoyed the parable story that kind of goes along with it and it was actually the reason that I got in contact with you was because you were on Entrepreneurs on Fire with uh, John Lee Dimas and you were giving away a copy for free and um, kind of some of this that I'll say will link into a few future questions but um, you sent through this book and I thought oh I'm just going to get a book through from Robin that's just take your shot just delivered in the mail and it wasn't just that it was take your shot and it was signed and you'd written in there because you'd been on my Instagram and you'd kind of like gone like oh you're doing amazing things like good job um and I really liked that kind of personal touch and then I read the story and was like well this is a genius way to get a message across because like you say it's relatable to the people who are reading it it definitely has that sort of um hero's journey arc that goes through and in a way it really reminded me of um The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho um and I I I thought that was just a, a very smart way to kind of connect those messages and make it really accessible to people um it's definitely something I'm looking at adopting with the the book that I'm writing at the minute but kind of in this zigzaggy tangential way, um, what was it that made you dig through my Instagram before you sent that book? Because that really was a key, and I know this is part of the answer, but that really was a key milestone in me going, oh, I like this guy. (laughs) Well, it's for me, like uh, there is in a world that we live in right now, where especially in the coaching space, everybody's like, and most of it's bullshit. I'm not going to lie, like six and seven figures, scaling and world domination and all that sort of stuff. I, I just don't really buy into any of that. And yes, you know, some, some aspects of it would be nice, but it's not like if that means that it's all about me, my thing is actually putting um, other people like front and center in the spotlight and understanding what it is that makes them tick. And in order to do that, and sometimes it's hard because, you know, it, it does take extra effort, but I'm interested in the people who are interested in me mm. and that simple stuff, like just, taking the extra few minutes just to go and follow them on twitter instagram tiktok whatever go and just watch a couple of their reels go and go and see what it is that they get up to and stuff like that i'm like oh this could be interesting and i i never really look at it from like a 
it's not not from my perspective it's great that we've ended up working together like don't get me wrong daniel but i i have a, a lot of you know a great network of business owners that i work with and i'm also like what's in it for them like if if I don't work with Daniel, well, could Daniel work with one or two of my clients to help them through some of the projects which they're working on, for example? So for me, it's like it's a no-brainer just to go and have a do a quick bit of research when I can find people's contact information and just see what they're all about. Mm. And that was really what kind of drew me into the um, the coaching aspect of stuff because, as you say, it, was, it it never felt pushy. And if anything, after that book came through, we we jumped on a conversation. We just had an hour chat about stuff, and you very very kindly offered just advice in that hour and sort of some suggestions. But there was never a push to become my coach or to do anything like that. And actually, when it came around to looking for coaches, what I was looking at or what I thought I needed was a lot of um, sort of life coaches and success coaches and all these people that sort of dealt with much more in the sort of um, uh, etheric strong word. Um, Mindset sort of space. Yeah, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. And I kind of in that moment was like, oh, I've chatted to Robin a couple of times about this. And obviously, I know you're a coach and looked into it. And I know that I've told you this before, but having that conversation with you, it became very, very apparent that actually what I needed was the kind of like business acumen and the structure and the mindset around things like finances and pricing, because I'm not business trained. That's that's the one thing that I've kind of stumbled through for the past however many years. Like I've essentially been an entrepreneur for almost a decade. I'm not business trained. And I'm at the point where the scales have tipped into what I'm doing and it has become a need to be able to look at that stuff. Um, and so I kind of say that with the mind of people listening to this podcast, again, as authors, we might not necessarily think of it as a business, but it is. And having that basic business acumen is, is, is key. I mean, what is it that you, f- you feel that you find lacking in authors and the people that come to you that are looking for this kind of advice? Is there sort of a universal general um, starting point that a lot of people feed from? So, so most people when they're, um, well, it's the same for both authors and for business owners. And, um, and in some cases, they'll be one and the same, but they, they feel that the goal is to go and collect customers, right? Mm. So I'm going to go and I'm going to go and sell as many books as I can. Or I'm going to go and do some marketing and gather as many clients as I can. And the reality is though, that doesn't create long-term sustainability within a business or even as an author, um, you know, because the thing is, if you're get if your book's going out and it's not being read by the right people, what are they going to leave? Do they're going to leave negative reviews, or you know, not, not necessarily mm-hmm. negative, but not as, as positive reviews? They're not going to recommend it to their friends or colleagues or associates, right? So, um, and and with business owners, it's the same. They they think that it's a matter of I'm going to build the product and then I'm going to get out there and get it into as many people's hands as possible. But I would just a slight tweak to that is get it in as many of the right hands as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And the, the second thing is just that on, on the pure business skills side of things is just understanding the numbers. You know, even as an author, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly fortunate, but I, 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 there's still a part of me which feels I probably lucked out a bit with online business startup, right time, right place, right categories, right. I did the launch, which was partly designed, but partly luck you know, things like that. And actually I've ended up making a, a, live, a good living out of it, you know, um, probably out of my books. I've probably over the last, uh, what was it, seven years since I published Online Business Startup, maybe made probably close to 100K, I'd say, or more out of my publishing work. So across all of the books. And even still now with minimal effort, I'm making probably 500 to 1,000 pounds most months with the, the, the book side of things. Um, which is I know that probably puts me in like the top one percent author wise but it was from the fact that um I realized then the books needed more to support them than just the books themselves so that's where it comes into what 
when you write a book, what's the purpose of it? Well, one, it's to entertain and educate, okay, first and foremost. But two, especially in the nonfiction space, it's there to help people. And so you don't just read the book and then that's it. Like there's always another another step beyond that. So it's just making sure that then there is a like a, a journey that doesn't just end. It, it carries on for the reader. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there are a keyword sustainability and you also mentioned about numbers which is certainly like I'm not I'm definitely not awful with numbers but it's not my strongest point and partly that's the reason I came to you to help kind of figure some of that stuff out um but what is the key to sustainability in this kind of business what should people be looking for to try and build a sustainable business for them so uh, like without being too sort of coachy and cliched like goal setting (laughs) is massively important so um for example if you if you're doing this as a side hustle um, you know, probably as a lot of people, a lot of authors are, um, uh, might like some people set too lofty ambitions to themselves. So they're like, right, I'm going to become a full-time author tomorrow. And it's just like, that's, that's not achievable or, you know, realistic. Um, but what might be realistic is that maybe if you need to, um, replace some of your income so you can drop down to maybe three, working three or four days a week so that you can then start to enjoy the author sort of lifestyle and having time to write the book and it not feeling, especially like, you know, as people get older and you start to have families and other commitments and things like that, those sorts of things that carving out that time becomes harder. So you need to take it out of the working week. Um, so if you could just plan to write a book and, um, you know, maybe make sales like I do, you know, 500 to a thousand pounds a month, all of a sudden you start to get freedom of choice. So you can start to say, well, I'm just going to take an extra day or two off a week now to focus on becoming a, you know, a, a full-time author so to speak um and then and then you that so that's goal number one how can we turn this sort of you know let's let's go from full-time work into part-time work and making a bit of extra income second goal is what i call getting funded that's the point when your work which you do around um your uh let's say authoring or your business then replaces your full-time income mm. so that might be two and a half three four k a month or something like that but at that point um, I suppose there's a word of caution that probably the book isn't the thing which is going to make you that money. It's then coming up with a concept for a business. Could it be a courses that you do? Could you build a, a speaking portfolio off the back of it where you get paid paid to go and speak at events, for example? Um, could you run a coaching you know, practice where you mentor people on, on the side, if you like? Um, you know, so that it's starting to then think multiple rev- streams of income in order to hit that sort of that initial getting funded um you know and then but the other nice thing as well is along this journey you still don't have to be necessarily specific okay that sounds really counterintuitive <laughs> when you then want to go to dream income stage let's say 10k a month or something like that that's when you need to be specific that's where you need to create one product which solves you know one specific problem uh, or solution for one specific audience and that's when you can then start to charge a lot more money for what it is that you do. It means that you get known for doing one thing really well. Um, and it means that you can then start to create a bit of scalability and, you know, it becomes more of a, a proper business at that point. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but think about it, five, 500 pounds yeah. a month for most authors is actually achievable. So if you price your yeah. book right on Amazon, you make five pounds of paperback. And if you can sell a hundred copies a month, you're there. It's actually really achievable. Um, but it's knowing that you're going to have to front load a lot of that work in order to get those first, you know, 
downloads and you know purchases rolling before then you can start to you know and then straight away if you add into that you sell 100 books and then somebody comes along and wants to pay you 500 pounds for a speaking engagement like once a month you're making a thousand pound a month this stuff's not rocket science it's like let, let's set a goal but let's keep it really simple yeah this is something that i really like about working with you is you do take these um these these cloudy thoughts that are in your head and it just clears away the dust and goes, actually, this is simple. Like, obviously, you looked at my business and went, if you do X, Y, Z, this is the result. And you sit there and go, oh, actually, like, it's really simple when you put it like that. Obviously, you know, you need the work and everything to make it happen. But the end result can look very, very simple. Has your financial mindset always been this kind of positive or has that been something you've worked on over the years? Because you do seem very, very just keen and eager with numbers. And that's certainly something that I'm I, still I love learning. numbers. Yeah. <laughs> massive. I'm a massive geek when it comes to numbers. I'll, I'll sit and do a Sudoku in my spare time and stuff like that, you know, nice. solve Rubik, <laughs> problems with Rubik's cubes and stuff. But um, uh, no, from, from the age of, okay, here, here's a bit of a home truth. Uh, here's where the therapy starts, Daniel. Hey. Um, <laughs> so, um, so my parents always argued about money. Okay. Mm. And so from a very early age, it was um, whether consciously or subconsciously, my goal was always to become self-sufficient. I didn't want, you know, because I saw the challenges and problems my parents had with money. I didn't want that to be a problem for me or to rely on my parents. So from the age of 13 um, up until 17, I did a paper round. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, out of those four years, I think I missed one week where I fell off my bike and really seriously hurt myself because um, it was icy. And even then, you know, I had to get my mum to drive me around to go and deliver the papers, you know, it's just, um, but that money was my money. And so from that point forward, I became very focused on how can I be self-sufficient, like, you know, 30 pounds here, 50 pounds there. To, and as you get older, like it's more like 500 pounds here, a thousand pounds there, and a bit older and it's like five grand here, 10 grand there. The, the numbers get bigger, but the principles stay the same. Um, and then it, then it's just a matter of like making like people massively overcomplicate things like um, the numbers within a business. They get hung up on things like profit and loss accounts and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, let's keep it basic. If you know you need 3K to make a living, how many of this product do we need to sell at you know, this price in order to achieve that 3K? Um, so those things don't need to be complicated. Um, I think that has that answered your question? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely that journey. And it's something that, so I I was the same. I, I got a paper round when I was 13. I've always kind of tried to figure out why, because my <laughs> I'm always careful to talk about family, but I'll just say my, my brother wasn't really like a, a money guy. Wasn't, like, he wasn't one for working. Um, like he had a couple of stabs and attempts at it, older brother. Um, but like, for example, he did his paper round for maybe six weeks and I did the same paper round when I became 13 for three years and ended up sort yeah. of like, leading and, and doing other bits and pieces um but there's always been this drive to not have to rely on my parents for income i don't know where that comes from um it's something that i'm definitely kind of like trying to dig into to find out more um but i could see the example of obviously wanting that money to kind of be independent but i mean a lot of people do get stuck on the numbers and more broadly speaking in terms of like monthly and annual salaries and i know that for myself there was a point in which i was working in a job that was uh, it was about 25k working in marketing and then I saw, and because that was for a charity, it's obviously going to be lower than if it was for a corporate company. And so when I looked at corporate jobs in marketing and saw that the same job pretty much was going for 36, 40K, although I knew I could do it, there was that sudden barrier of like, yeah, but I'm not worth that extra 10,000. Um, how do you get over that kind of mindset? Because I, you, you know that it's the same, but also it almost becomes an expectation. The minute you start earning more money, there's almost like a kind of like fear of the money itself. 
Yeah, so so again, with that, I'm not going to, you know, don't need to go into the whys and wherefores necessarily of sort of what went on in your past. But the, what it comes down to, though, is asking yourself a question like, what am I comparing myself to? What am I measuring myself against here and why? OK, and like the reality is that um, I, I'm, I'm always more of the opinion that if if I've seen somebody else do it, well, then I can do it. Yes. So it's and like it, it, it makes it immediately achievable because somebody else has done it. You know, um, I, I admire people who can see something that nobody else has ever done. Imagine back in 1967, was it or 69? I can't remember what, you know, and they put the first um, first man on the moon. Yeah. You know, and Kennedy came up with the, the vision for for that, for NASA, you know, like apps, apps, like it, it amazes me that people can have that level of vision. That's like oh, yeah. beyond my capabilities. Right. But when I can see that somebody else has done it, I'm like, cool, let's let's go. Let's go full gas on this. Um, and the second thing as well, like, is like, why does, why, why does it matter? Why do we put ourselves under so much pressure thinking that we can't do it? It's just a matter really, because like, the thing is like, it, here's, here's a little secret, Daniel. Like nobody actually cares about Daniel. Nobody else cares about Daniel because they've got their own shit going on, right? Um, so that self-imposed rule that you kind of placed on yourself that, oh, am I really worth it? Well, go for it. And if you don't get it, nobody's going to notice. Like the world still spins. There'll be another opportunity that comes along. So I think it's just like we, we just set arbitrary rules on ourselves, arbitrary limitations. Yeah. It's something I see so often as well is that people automatically presuming that people aren't going to pay for the product or do whatever. Um, and I've been teaching this to a lot of, of my clients is that, you know, unless, well, my, my ethos has always been, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. But I've never fully always lived by that when it comes to like money and asking for like bigger sums of money for different coaching things. Uh, but that's definitely something I put on other people now is like, give them the opportunity to say no. Like it's up to them, yes or no. And either way, there'll be someone else out there that is more fit for your business more fit for your service, your book, whatever, who will be willing to take the chance and, and to go for it and learn what it is you've got to say. Yeah, well, I, I've got a, a very good friend of mine who is, um, uh, uh, he's a very successful YouTuber and he um, he's, he's built a course off the back of it, helped him build the course. And then um, he got, the reason I'm not going to actually give the name today is because, um, uh, only because of what I'm about to share about the publishing side of things, people don't necessarily know. So it's not fair to sort of drop that. Um, but he was he was offered a publishing contract and um, they lowballed him on the advance. And he said, well, I, I'm not going to do it for that because I've got X number of followers. So he really stood his ground, um, you know, and knew what he was worth. Um, there was a part of it which was he kind of already made it financially and his business is going gangbusters. So he, he had the space to be able to ask for that. So eventually they agreed to the advance that he wanted. And then then he said to them, well, listen, I've got I've got another idea for a book as well. Would you like me to tell you about it? And would you like me to give me an advance for that one as well? And they were like, oh, well, that's not really normal. Normally we get one book under our belt and then we talk about the second book and this, that and the other. It's like, well, I'll take the idea to somebody else if you're not interested. So yeah. he ended up getting two six figure book deals off the back of it. Right. Which is just absolutely it just baffles me. You're yeah. absolutely right. If you don't ask for these things, you don't get. Um, but he, and it was funny speaking to him about it because he kind of said, well, I, I didn't realize that I was I was being. I can't remember how he worded it, like rude by asking. I didn't, he just yeah. said, I didn't realize that was not the done thing. Uh -huh. But like naivety in that instance, like helped him because he was just like, I've just asked anyway. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, something you mentioned earlier as well is uh, about, oh, mine's gone blank. It was about um, building the business and kind of narrowing down and niching and looking at, you know, scaling based off of getting very, very specific. One thing that I know that I struggle with is I'm, I'm a very, 
heart-driven person as, and I always consider the business stuff like the head, head side stuff and the heart is kind of like the strategy and where I want it to go. Um, and so I often find that if I get too heavily invested in something, I automatically find a shiny penny and I'm, I'm very liable to like U-turn on, on business decisions. How, how do you niche down when you are heart-led over head-led? So first and foremost, there's, a, there's a, possibly a chance that actually your heart is telling you that either either you weren't fully invested in that project you were working on in the first place or that maybe it wasn't going to yield you the results or outcomes you 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 um thought it might but you you probably just haven't like gone through the process of figuring out the whys and wherefores and you just naturally moved on to the the next thing because you can see an opportunity over there um but the thing is like i'm i'm a big fan I, I, I like to um if you've got some kind of a side project or something like that that you want to work on um is it actually going to sabotage the work you've already done to date? Is it going to take your, um, is it going to become a distraction from whatever it is, the solid foundations that maybe you've built already? It, and if, you know, so so take, take for example, in the coaching space, a lot of people are just like, want to help everybody, just want to help everybody. So um, they end up selling themselves too short. So they sell them, they undersell themselves, you know, charging minimal you know, pounds per hour for their coaching sessions, therapists especially do this, um, so that they can help more people. And then they're scratching their heads going, where's all the money? And I'm really tired and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, there has to be a balance between two, between head and heart. And if we want to build a sustainable income for ourselves, well, we put a majority of our time, energy and effort into, into building that sustainable business model, um, which is hopefully interesting enough to keep us interested in it and motivated to want to do it. And it might be that you spend 90% of your time, money, energy into building that sustainable side of the business. And then just limit yourself to 10 or 20% of your time to focus on that side, side project and test it and see if it's going to work or not before you actually full scale kind of pivot across into it. Because mm. otherwise it, it ends up being a form of sabotage. Yeah. Like nothing ever gets finished. And then you wake up one day and you've got these like 12 things that just are kind of there, just unfinished. Imagine, so like, imagine getting personal. Well, <laughs> imagine like I'd be, you know, I, you probably can't see it down there. I've got my, um, this is my very hallowed, um, you know, my little oh, Lego nice. model here, my little yeah. Lego bus, right? I would be, um, if this was only 80% finished, I'd find that really frustrating, really annoying. Possibly, you could probably call it OCD, but... <laughs> Imagine having, imagine having like a dozen of these parked up with bits missing, like half finished. How frustrating that would be when you look back on it and go, oh, I could have just put a few extra bricks on here and finished it. Um, probably I need some therapy, but. Um... <laughs> yeah, no, I also like how deftly you're, you're placing that back. <laughs> yeah. like, um, can you imagine if I just dropped <laughs> oh man I've seen uh, there was a, hey, a bit. Hey, there's nothing wrong. I'd have to build it again. That'd be quite good fun. That's all the fun, the process. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you mentioned again, like we keep coming back to this this point of sustainability. Um, it's something that I've definitely been looking at shifting into, and I think probably since around February 2021 was like, well, February 2021 was a huge shift to me in terms of like just writing everything I was doing on the board, just slashing things out and minimizing. I'm still nowhere near the point in which I'm fully happy, but I'm getting, I'm, I'm kind of moving forward. And I know we've had conversations about sort of time management and you know prioritizing all that kind of stuff. Um, what are some common mistakes that you see people? Are making at the minute in terms of productivity and trying to get lots done 
Um, I think, again, we talked about like goal setting is um, can actually be quite toxic um, because there's the thing of like, well, if you don't achieve your goal within this pre-specified amount of time, because we're taught to be specific, measurable, actionable, realistic and time bound with our goals. Right. But it can be quite demotivating and demoralizing if you don't achieve those goals. I think like we, we do live in a very busy, noisy world and especially with what's, you know, it'd be remiss not to nod to what's happened over the last couple of years with covid and everything that's going on at the moment um you know it, it's like we can put these arbitrary goals in place that end up demotivating us and i think i'm a big fan of having you know one big objective that you kind of sort of focus on over a maybe a longer period of time and it's okay if you don't achieve it in that pre-specified amount of time so you know, I'm working on another book at the moment, all just purely on pricing. And it's it's kind of been in that 20,000, 25,000 word sort of ballpark for about 18 months. Mm. Now I could beat myself up and say I'm a failure for not finishing that yet, but life has been bloody busy. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. The world still spins and the book will get written at some point at the right time. And that is okay. Um, I, you know, without going too woo-woo, there is, I'm a, you know, there is a little bit of me which is kind of... Um, uh believes that you know if it if it takes another six or 12 months for that book to get written and launched that is the right time for that book to come out mm. um and i'm happy with that and it's just about being comfortable with with the like you used the word you know, it's part of the process that's just part of being on that process mm-hmm. if you end up with like a dozen unachievable goals or swelling around it's just massively overwhelming it doesn't feel like a nice place to be no, I'm definitely on a journey of reminding myself that when I first started going full time as a writer, I was working on one book and that was all I had to worry about was one book. And I keep looking back at the time and going, oh, life was so easy then. And obviously now there's like the books, there's the coaching, there's like a bunch of other stuff as well. I'm really trying to peel back and be like, OK, I was doing OK and I was making a living. I was doing that then. What is it that's made me um, just add all these extra things to my plate and how how do I go back from normalizing what has become so busy and it's a real mental journey to be able to sit there and go okay that can wait till later yeah that can also wait till later this can take longer because there isn't or the the only person putting pressure on you to do that is you that's it I mean the thing is like if you so take writing for example imagine you set a rule where you have to do a thousand words a day okay Mm -hmm. so that's not you know in it's not that much in the grand scheme of things, but you know, a thousand words a day, you've got to sit down and imagine then you start falling behind and then you have to force yourself to go and sit at your computer and tap out those thousand words in the morning or afternoon or whenever you choose to do your writing. And then, and then you like, you just like time is slipping away. It starts to become a very negative experience. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I've had negative experiences in the past, I tend to move away from them, not necessarily towards them. And we'll get that finished, that book finished. But then there's this like resistance, which we built up within ourselves because we've had to kind of fight through it. And I think because writing is such a, um, it's a creative process. It's quite an emotional process, I I feel. Certainly when I wrote Take Your Shot, because that was drawing on my own emotions. You have to enjoy that process in order to ready yourself for the next book because you're going to write another book, mm-hmm. right? And if it's been a negative experience, why would you want to write another book when it's been a negative experience? So I just think that kind of sometimes being kind to yourself, writing when you feel in the mood for it. And, you know, if you know, I, I find when I'm really inspired, I'll, I'll knock out five or 8,000 words like in a day when I'm really like inspired to get put pen to paper. 
And that's normally some of my best quality work. My, my lesser quality work is when I'm forcing myself to do it. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Uh, we mentioned in the intro about all the different sort of social good you are doing with Four Ocean and obviously the stuff you done for local children's charity. Why is it important for you to be making social good with your business? Uh, it's, um, that's a really interesting question. Um, so for me, for me, that's, it's a lot about congruency and alignment. And so, um, you know, uh, making sure that what I do is aligned with who I identify as basically. So for example, you know, recently I, I hadn't surfed for, you know, several months as the back end of last year and in part because the water just gets a bit cold after sort of November, December time. Um, uh, but I was like, how can I put that on my profile? I'm a surfer and I'm not actually doing anything towards surfing. Like, how can I identify as that? So that's where things like Four Ocean come in. So if I'm a surfer, I need to make sure that I'm giving something back to the ocean, you know, when I'm using it. I think that's quite important. But what activities, other activities am I doing to say, to align with being a surfer? So I was like, right, I need to book myself into the wave down at Bristol. So I'm going to get back in the water. I'm going to do some swimming to warm up and I'm going to book a couple of days off to actually go to the ocean and swim. Um, and, you know, um, I can't I can't also be a spectator. I can't go and swim around in the sea and see all this plastic and crap in the ocean and A, either not do anything about it. So I'll take a bag with me and fill that up, you know, leave the world a better place, the, you know, the place a better place than when I arrived at it. Um, but also there are people who are making a nice living out of me donating money to Four Ocean. And so who are cleaning up the ocean and getting paid for it. And there's this whole like circle of good going on. It's just, it's just something personal and important to me. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it definitely reflects on sort of the character and what I see from you um, in our interactions. Uh, I have two more questions before we round off for today. Um, normally I ask kind of, because we get a lot of, sort of fiction authors primarily on the show we ask uh why do you write i kind of want to twist that with you and give you a chance to also highlight your business a bit which is what does it mean to be fearless so so first of all a lot of people mistake fear the word fearless with being reckless it's completely different altogether the reason i chose fearless is because it's about fearing the things in business ever so slightly less that are holding you back from achieving your goals so it could be something very simple like publishing a book for example it could be um standing up on stage and doing a 60 second pitch or heaven forbid a speaking engagement you know a keynote for something because there are certain things that we need to do as business owners and there'll be certain things that your authors know that they need to do in order to make their book successful their authoring journey successful um uh but at the moment there's like one little thing which is just holding them back and if they can overcome that fear and it could be fear of Fear of being judged is probably a big one for putting a book out there. What if I put my book out there and nobody likes it or nobody buys it? Or what if my friends like take the mickey out of me for publish, like for writing this, this fiction book or nonfiction book or whatever it is. Um, you know, so there's all these little fears that so kind of look, life's too short. If we worry about all those things, when, like I said earlier on, your friends, they may take the mickey out of you for publishing a book, but next week they'll have forgotten about it. And then mm. when you tell them what amazing stuff you're doing and they can see that, they'll be like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'd like to write a book, right? So just, just need to get over those little fears. Yeah, I can count on one hand the amount of people that have actually, within my circle of friends and family that have actually read my books. Yeah. And that, that was a real fit when my first, because uh, it was a horror novel, a uh, novella that I released when it first came out. And there's that real fear of like, oh my God, like the people who know me, because obviously I'm, I'm quite a nice guy. And um, there was that real fear of like, oh, I wonder what people close to me will say. Not one of my closest family has read that book. I'm, this I'm comes sure back. It... There was a question which you asked uh, uh, asked me earlier on as well. Um, 
but uh, th- this is a pro this is a, a thing where you have to be comfortable in your own skin doing the things which you do because it mm. fills you up yes. not necessarily because it fills other people up this is for you and it's okay you can you can do what you do without it being egotistical or arrogant and that's yeah. all right i love it uh so the final question actually comes from one of our previous guests because each week we get one of our guests to ask a question of the following guest and uh, this question comes from philip duncan who says i believe in going all in if you want to take the island burn the boats so my question is how do you approach your business safe decisions or risky ones and making sure you're serving the right people so first of all i kind of love the concept of burning the boats uh however it's incredibly risky um i'm actually much more of a fan of um uh there was a guy called eric reese who wrote, wrote a book called the lean startup and he talks about creating a minimum viable product so a minimum viable version of whatever it is that you're doing so um because sometimes you know rather than to build the whole product and then for it to go cr- you know crashing down because you didn't get any feedback on it it could be if you've got an idea for a book why not go and pitch it? Maybe not to your friends or people who may judge you, but to a group of people who have similar interests and say, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about it? And they may go, oh, it's a great idea. So we get that little bit of piece of feedback. They may say, it's a great idea, but what if your character did this? Oh, wonderful. So now we've got an improved version of it without even having written one single word. Then we write our, our maybe our synopsis give it to the same group of people. They say, yeah, this is great, this is great, this is great. But if you got to do this, this and this, now we've got even more feedback before we've written chapter one. And so it's that process of gradual improvement that means that we get like 80 iterations of improvement before we get the finished article. And it's normally like much, much better. That's a safer way to do it. Sometimes though, people do need a big push and like burning your bridges is aptly appropriate because they fear of failure. They feel that they just won't take action unless they've just you know they've got no nothing left they've got no other choices they just have to do the thing mm-hmm. like when you burn one of your old businesses and just start a brand new one three weeks before yeah just go and, go and tell your <laughs> heavily pregnant wife that you're closing the agency down in two days you know that's you your sole income brilliant what Rob. a way to bring that full circle <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for joining me robin where can people find out more about yourself and all that you're working on yeah, absolutely. So a, a little gift. Um, so I always offer this at, um, uh, whenever I speak to somebody. So if you want a signed copy of Take Your Shot, you can head on over to fearless.biz forward slash TYS for Take Your Shot. I will sign a copy, as Daniel said. I will take great pride in walking it down to the post office uh, and sending it out to you. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on all, all the mainstream sort of social media channels. You can just search for Robin Wait, Wait with an E on the end of it, um, and you'll be able to find me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast catching up again. <laughs> Absolutely, no, it's been a pleasure, Daniel. So there you go. That was Robin Waite. What did you think of that conversation, Sam? I, I'm going to be honest. Like, before the interview, that is the word I'm looking for. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> because obviously um, he is very business and that is something that I'm still very much not um not a brag <laughs> just <laughs> just saying humble um, brag I'm just yeah, not business just, I'm just not business um it still kind of makes my tummy all all knots and stuff I was I was a bit worried that like I might not either get something from it or it might just kind of like trigger my <laughs> business but actually number one 
again let's just mention the guy's British so that was wonderful um and two, <laughs> like he's like I don't want to say a puppy because that's condescending but he's just he's kind of like he's bustling with energy you can tell mm. he's really passionate about what he's doing um and actually I got a lot from it I loved I've written it down here because the quote killed me um when he said I had a moment of clarity other people might call it a mental breakdown yeah yeah <laughs> when he was on the bike and starts crying and he's like do you know what I I need to like step away from this wildly successful business that I've built and have been running for the past 12 years, I think he said, um, and just start something from scratch. I, I, just to be a fly on the wall for his oh. month pregnant wife. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, you want to do what? I'm sorry, dear. Um, <laughs> I don't think I caught that. Do you, want, do you want to try that again? Is there some medication that perhaps you've not taken today? Yeah. Because I think I heard what I just heard. But yes, yeah, so it's just... I really liked that um, that and I, I'll tell you what else I really like because obviously you hear a lot about kind of if you're passionate about something just jump and the net will catch you and it's a, it's a wildly dangerous thing to kind of advise as a blanket thing um, and so obviously again wildly successful business of 12 years so he had already built somewhat of a net um, and yeah, I, I loved the when the question from last week had come and, and he said, like, I love the idea of burning the boats, but yes. that's not always the most advisable thing to do because, you know, it is wonderful just that idea of like we're setting the boats on fire and now there's no going back. Yeah, um, but like something very poetic and romantic about it. Yeah, exactly. Not, not necessarily practical. No. No. Oh, no, I forgot my iPod. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I really enjoyed um, just his idea behind kind of fearless business when he said fearless, not reckless. And there's a difference. Mm. Um, I can see why I can see why you two would work very well together. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just yeah. yeah. And, and just the things he said kind of about getting his book out and about like front loading work. Mm. I felt that in my bones because that's I feel like I've been front loading for so long now yeah but yeah what about yeah. you what did what did you like about it you were there so well i mean just picking up on the first thing you said i think there's a real distinction to be made there for for people who might be in a similar position where they don't feel business mm -hmm. um and i know we've had conversations about this before because <laughs> one thing i've many many <laughs> but one thing one thing that i learned um a fair few years ago particularly when i started really stepping into marketing and i started like leading marketing departments and sort of the qualifications all that kind of stuff mm. is that Marketing and business, once you actually get into the thick of it, can be whatever you want it to be, in the sense of it can be a force for evil, it can be a force for good, it can be, you know, it's, as growing up, I had this very, um, I guess, stereotypical view of, like, business of kind of like the suit, and like, it's very, like, rigid and cutthroat, and like, it's, it's yeah. just, I, I didn't have positive associations around business, and the same with marketing, I saw marketing as, you know, tr basically Easy. tricking people into giving you their money. Yeah. Um, and then I, I read a book, uh, Seth Godin's um, This Is Marketing, um, a fair few years back. Yeah, Sam's pointing to it on the shelf as well, um, which basically just, just changed that entirely because marketing itself can be a force for positive change. Like for me, yeah. for me, marketing is I know that I have something that is going to help someone. Mm -hmm. How do I reach that person? yeah specifically that person and how do i give them the option to access this thing so it's not like being pushy it's not being shovy like there's lots of different ways that you can operate and obviously it depends on the business and everything else and mm -hmm. um, but similarly with business 
Um, until you've stepped into the world of like running your own business and looking at all the cogs and wheels and different things and seeing examples of how other businesses run. Yeah. Like there can be that very like that scared almost like, well, this is a certain thing that is in complete contrast to my creative artistic self. And the truth is it doesn't have to be. Like mm-hmm. as you build your business, like it is an art um, and you build it for you. And that's one of the things that Robin has kind of given me through osmosis and one of the things that he kind of like touches on um, a few points there is that you know the first business he built like say it was successful it didn't serve him anymore so yes cut his ties and he made that decision not easily and you know there's a very small gap between moments of clarity and breakdowns we know this oh yeah a moment of clarity is rarely ever painless no. on some front yeah um and so he did that and then you know i'm not going to go into the mechanics of his business as i know them but um he has built his business in a way that works for him that mm-hmm. optimizes on his energy that serves in the best way that he can that works in a model that is manageable around his life and his kids and everything he wants to do mm-hmm. and i just think for me that's such a, a beacon of inspiration and you know he, he works hard and he's earned his place absolutely over like decades of, of doing this stuff um, but as I said in the interview, one of the reasons that I was really drawn to him was that there was that really practical, tangible side of it. Like, I, I really thought that I needed accountability or some kind of like mindset shift or someone like yeah, to help I with that stuff. this conversation. Yeah. And what I really needed was just tangible, practical steps and someone mm-hmm. to critically look at my business. Because what I've realized is the business that I've built, I've done it myself. And I've never really had like a review or an outsider. It's kind of just been like, oh, this is working. I'll do more of that. So to have someone look at what you're doing and to go oh using my experience this is what you can do and then you know bits within there of like money mindset that's huge and actually sort of um giving people the option to say no and like standing yes. up for what you're worth and things like that um <laughs> and i mean the other reason that uh, i think i touched on an interview but didn't go into too deeply was just robin's just a lovely guy yeah he is like he literally that's why i said puppy like he's just yeah he's just like, like constantly like he's just you could see he's so excited mm-hmm. and passionate about what he does and that like you can talk to me about I don't know staples for two hours if you're that passionate <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy the conversation yeah and his intentions are so pure and obviously mm-hmm. like you know you've got the charitable side of stuff as well but yeah. you know I've sat in group coaching sessions with him I've had one-on-ones with him where like you you just see like how generous he is now willing he is to give himself to help someone mm-hmm. even if that means a detriment of not taking a paycheck himself yeah and that was for me that was the final kind of uh clincher to me choosing to work with him was you know he was like you don't have to do this like by all means I can recommend other people like I'm here if you want and I was like all right I'm in yeah <laughs> like, that, that gels very well with me yeah same same so yeah he's um He's a fantastic guy. Hopefully people got a lot of stuff in that interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll uh, round off. And who have we got next week, Sam? I love that. I've just, I've just like to say, at no point was I told that I would have to say the guest's names. I know, I'm just throwing you on the spot now. You're welcome. Know. Next week we have Kathy Murray. Kathy mm. Murray. Yes, and Kathy Murray is the mind behind Fit Bodies. She is uh, also the co-author of the uh, Munich Cowboy Cheerleaders, mm-hmm. which is an Audible exclusive, all about her journey into coaching a very, very unsuccessful cheerleading team into six national championships. Um, and that conversation was a lot of fun, so I can't, I can't wait to share that with you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, from me and Sam, we will see you next week. <laughs> see, I thought it was pausing for me to say goodbye. Communication will come. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>
activate your energies. 